0: Please remain standing as you're able out of respect for the gospel, the 10th chapter of Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Recently, I began thinking about dominant images that I have of the church in my mind and how they've affected me as a pastor and leader. And I think for years, the dominant image or picture that I had of the church came from a movie a number of years ago uh, with Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams. You may remember the movie where Kevin Costner's uh, uh, character Ray Kinsella hears uh, voices and these voices tell him uh, to take his field on which he's already losing money. And to turn it in to a, a baseball complex. You'll remember he follows that dream and that vision. He follows that voice because it promises that if you build it, if you build it, he will come. And, and of course, when he builds it, he finds out that he is his father and, and uh, they can resume a relationship that they really never had. And, and that he is shoeless Joe Jackson in all the black socks of Chicago's 1919 uh, World uh, Series disaster and then at the end of the movie we find that others come as well and you look out and cars are lined up for miles away with their headlights on pulling in to what he has built he has built it and they did come and for the longest time i thought about that as a pastor of a church where I was last pastor we built a new sanctuary and we told ourselves if we build it they will come and I remember the Sunday morning we opened the doors and in fact, although there were no headlights on because it was broad daylight, cars were lined up and they did come. And we had the same sort of experience here at Alamo Heights. I've seen pictures of the first Sunday and, and there's not a space for anyone to sit in the sanctuary. It is so packed. They built it. And people did come. And when I got to Alamo Heights about nine months later, I looked out at the sanctuary and told a few friends, you know, this isn't near big enough for all the people. Uh, that will come well as you look around there are still a few spaces available this morning apparently i was wrong but i thought about how was i wrong it could have been that my leadership or management style in this church just didn't enable it to grow to a a size where every seat would be filled every sunday could be that my uh, oratorical skills aren't quite up to uh, a level that would fill every seat on every sunday but i don't think that's where i went wrong I think I went wrong on what I call a theology of influx, and that is my basic belief was the important thing that we had to do in life was gather people under this one roof that the important thing to do was just get everybody in one place, and that that would be. Our job and our mission statement from back then even reflects that. We start our mission statement, bring people in. We talk about bringing them as if the final goal was just to sit under this building and listen to somebody lecture Sunday after Sunday. I've come to believe that that's really not accurate because I don't see anywhere where Jesus talks about that. Jesus talks about parables where a man will take seed and not collect it in a storehouse and gather it in one roof, but will rather cast it out so that uh, things may blossom and grow. In the scripture this morning, Jesus gets his 72 closest followers and rather than gather them to himself and hold them there, he sends them out, tells them, Go, go, go to all the places where I want to go. I began to realize... And the problem with the field of dreams is it's an attraction metaphor. It, it talks about attracting people to a building or to a place. But the God of the Bible is never so much about attracting as the God is about sending people out from a place to all around the neighborhood and eventually the world. But when you've got a field of dreams mentality, things just sort of fall like dominoes. And so I realized that a film that was beginning to get played out in my mind was Wizard of Oz. Do you remember the Wizard of Oz? Dorothy and Toto and their three friends go off to the Emerald City in search of something that they they are sure they do not have. And so I went to the Emerald City, the largest Protestant congregation in America in Chicago. And I left Toto at home, but I took more than three friends. Now they had courage, and they had intelligence, and they had passionate hearts. But I'd convinced them that they must, in fact, be lacking something, or else we'd have Emerald City right here. And so we went and banged on the doors of the Emerald City to see if they'd let us in, so we could see how we could build our own Emerald City here and attract people from miles around to come under this one roof. But you know, we went to see the Wizard but we never got to look behind the curtain. And it is only recently, and you may have seen this in the press because it was quite a story several months ago, that this wonderful church, the largest church in America, in Chicago, surveyed their own people that had gathered in and filled every space in an auditorium five times larger than this. And they found that surveying their people, that most of them were not growing spiritually. And that a number of them felt like maybe they needed to leave that large church and go to a smaller church. And I was so impressed that the wizard was able to come out and say in public, you know what? There's more to life and faith than just this emerald city. But I've been off searching. Sure that if we did just the right things, pulled just the right levers behind the curtain, we built just the right thing, people would come. And then I found that I was among the congregation as a pastor. I was living out another movie that our children are familiar with, Finding Nemo. Have any of you seen that, your children or your grandchildren? And, of course, Nemo gets lost, and, and Nemo's silly friend Dory and father come out looking for him. But when, while Nemo is lost, he eventually finds himself from the ocean into a fish tank. And do you remember the response of the, of the cultivated fish and the kept fish in the tank when Nemo shows up from the outside? the first thing they want to do is clean him up clean him up and so they work diligently to get him clean enough to be in the tank with all the respectable fish in the aquarium and i realized that as a pastor and church leader i spend a lot of time and energy on keeping the the temperature in this aquarium just right keeping it clean making sure there are enough wheels and, and hoops for people to swim through and and uh enjoy but that when people leave this tank If they leave it and get out in the ocean, they're not able to adapt. And when people from the ocean come into our tank, we're kind of less than ready to adapt to them. I realized a lot of time and energy has been spent on building a very large aquarium here when maybe Jesus was telling us get people gathered so that they can go back out into the ocean and swim with the real world and rub up against them and shape and influence their lives you know we all see it in our kids they they grow up here we take care of them as best we can they go off to college and they're not ready for that ocean and they struggle they struggle in the ocean of life we see that in our own life when we come here and and uh, in the aquarium and then we leave and it's time to go to work and we don't know how to live our faith out in the real world because we weren't told that what jesus wanted us was actually out in the real world and that the measure of our aquarium is not how many fish are in this tank, but what the fish are doing in the ocean and whether they can swim out there and whether they can be a blessing out in the ocean. I realized i have been living for too many years all the wrong metaphors. I had what might be called a theology of influx. While Jesus has a theology of influence or what we might call incarnation influence is being jesus for the world taking jesus into the world have you ever noticed that jesus never told the world to go to church but did command the church to go to the world it's a cliche but i do believe that it's true we gather here and it is good that we gather here and i work very hard and the choir works very hard and donna works very hard and the ushers work very hard so that when you gather here it's helpful but it's only helpful if you will scatter And take Jesus back with you. I found a couple other metaphors that are more helpful for me today thinking about the church. Now you're going to have to work with me on the first one. But I think the TV news and the newspapers have given us a very helpful metaphor to think about our church in the 21st century. And that's all the stories that you hear about Al-Qaeda. Now work with me for a minute on this. The problem with Al-Qaeda is this. They never gather all their people in one place. You can't ever find them in just one location. If you take out a location, you find out they're not even there anymore. They moved on to somewhere else. And they are so scattered in the world that they may very well be in your neighborhood or on your block. Their power is in their scattering ability. Now, I'm indebted to Pastor Mark for this observation. Isn't sin scattered across the world? Isn't need scattered? scattered all over the world isn't misery scattered all over the world then how can we stay just gathered when so much of the pain is scattered we do gather and come together but it's so that we can go uh, back into the world where there are places of need and misery and guilt and shame brought by sin that's who we are we're we're a, a godly Christian Al-Qaeda of sorts. Wherever we are, taking our message and taking our weapons of love and detonating them wherever we find ourselves. There are two great movements in the New Testament that book in the life of Jesus. One is this. The first movement is Jesus says, come. Come follow me. Come to me, all you who are tired and, and weary. Come. Come. And then at the end of the New Testament, though we get a glimpse, I mean the end of the Gospel, though we get a glimpse of it this morning in Luke 10, Jesus then says, now go. Now go. Those are the two movements. We come and we gather. Why? So that we can scatter and go and take Jesus with us wherever we go. One more metaphor suggested itself to me. Some of you will be old enough to remember this uh, TV show. Do you remember the TV show about the place where everybody knew your name? and their troubles were all the same do you remember that you remember sam mayday Do you remember coach norm cliff you remember all of them that they had that place where they gathered and when they gathered there they felt home they felt home now there was interesting research done about 20 years ago of factory workers in chicago and what they found is that that's what their lives were like that they spent their life divided between the factory and home, but the one thing that connected factory and the home and kept them sane and moving was what the sociologist-researcher called the third place. They were at the factory from 8 to 5, they were at home later in the evening, but in between time, they gathered at the local tavern. And there they found acceptance. And there they found encouragement. And there they found a bit of hope that carried them on. The church needs to be about creating third places for people. Not expecting that the third place is always going to be under this roof. We need to go where people are and where they're gathering and take the third place home to them. And that's why Mark and I are wearing these aprons this morning. You really don't want me in the kitchen. You probably don't want him there either. But this is for our new coffee shop that we are starting starting at WeSotch and McCullough in a couple of weeks. And it will be a place where people in that community can just come and, and be known and they can sit down and have a cup of coffee, make a donation, talk with other people. Whether they know it or not, it, they will be rubbing shoulders with Christians. And then eventually the discussion and topic may go to more formal discussions of faith. And I know that uh, Pastor Michael Crocker eventually will be leading a study off campus there on Thursday nights Mark will be leading a discussion uh, time with interested people in that community on Wednesday nights. But what is important for me to say to you is it's not happening under this roof. We're going there where they are and creating a place where they can gather that third place where they can find hope and they can find home. That's what we're about. Not just seeing how many people we can stuff in these walls. The measure of our church is not what's going on in this aquarium. It's what We're doing when we are outside. One more thing that suggests itself to me. You have heard this metaphor referred to in the Da Vinci Code, and you have seen this symbol in Indiana Jones' last movie, The Last Crusade. And that symbol, of course, is the grail, the cup of Christ, the chalice. For me, this is the best picture and metaphor for the church that I can find to give you. In this cup, the wine, the juice, the blood, has all been gathered, but for what purpose? For what purpose is it gathered into this cup? Is it not to be poured out on a thirsty world? This is what the church should look like.